For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject the events of Passover. This is part one of the series. In this session, we are going to be speaking on the subject and examining the events of Passover. We need to remember that Passover itself is referred to as the Festival of Freedom because this is the festival that celebrates the liberation from Egypt, which is a type of the world and the world system and the God of Israel redeeming his people with signs, wonders, and miracles and made them a free people that can serve him and keep his commandments. In studying the biblical festivals and in studying Passover, we need to keep in mind four very important principles of the Egyptian redemption. Number one, it is a historical event. Number two, there is a biblical principle that the events which happen to the patriarch are not only history, but they are prophecies of what will happen to their future descendants. Therefore, the events of the historical Egyptian redemption are actually prophecies of what will happen in the end of days. And this is what Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10 and verse 11. Next, the Egyptian redemption will teach us about the Messiah and his redemptive role. Fourthly, the Egyptian redemption will teach us about our personal redemption in Yeshua the Messiah. So as we're studying Passover, we're going to examine it in the context of these principles. We need to remember that the Bible explains to us that it is actually Yeshua, the Messiah, who made a covenant with Abraham. The way that we can see this is in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get you out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. In verse 3 of Genesis chapter 12, it says, I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you. And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. And what we want to cross-reference is this phrase, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In Psalm chapter 72, in verse 1, it says, Give the king your judgment, O God, and your righteousness unto the king's son. Who is the king? It is God the Father.
father, who is his son, it is Yeshua the Messiah. By what is said about him, we can see that this actually is referring to Yeshua on the deeper level and understanding of the text. In Psalm 72, verse 2, it says, He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with judgment. Who is that speaking of? Yeshua the Messiah. Now, in Psalm 72, verse 17, it says, His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him, and all nations shall call him blessed. In Genesis chapter 12, it says all families are blessed in Abraham. Here in Psalm 72, it says all families are blessed in Yeshua the Messiah. How is that the case? Because they're in covenant relationship with each other. Now, to further be able to see this, in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, it says when Abram was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. In the Hebrew, Almighty God is El Shaddai. Now, let's cross-reference the one that appearing to Abraham and making a covenant with him who was referred to as El Shaddai in Genesis 17 verse 1. And let's cross-reference that with Revelation chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 which says, Behold, he comes with clouds and every eye shall see him and they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him even so amen I am Alpha and Omega and if I'm speaking in Hebrew I would say I'm the Aleph and the Tav the beginning and the ending says the Lord which is which was and which is to come the Almighty the one that is the Alpha the Omega is also the Almighty if I'm referring this back to Hebrew I would be saying he is El Shaddai and speaking about Yeshua in describing him in Revelation chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 it is said of him that he is El Shaddai El Shaddai in Genesis chapter 17 verse 1 is the one that appears to Abraham and makes covenant with him these are two cross references where we can see that it is Yeshua the Messiah who makes covenant with Abraham one more connection and cross reference that we can see is Genesis chapter 17 verse 7 which says and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to your seed after you. Verse 8, And I will give unto you and into your seed after you the land where you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Now in Galatians chapter 3 verse 16, it quotes Genesis chapter 17 verse 7. Galatians 3 16 says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. It points out here that in Genesis 17 verse 7, it does not say seeds, plural, as of many, but it says seed, referring to Yeshua, the Messiah. And then in Galatians 3.29 it says, If you be Messiahs, then are you Abraham's seed, and you are an heir of the promise that was made to Abraham. So we've made three cross-references where we can see that it's Yeshua that makes the covenant with Abraham, and we are heirs of that covenant that Yeshua made with Abraham by being believers in him. Now, in Genesis chapter 15, and in making the covenant with Abraham, this is what was communicated to Abraham. Genesis 15 verse 12, And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep, which we examined in detail last week, where we studied and saw that this is a reference to the descendants of Abraham, 
Abraham going into spiritual slumber. And so what's happening to Abraham is a prophecy of what will happen to his descendants. And lo, a whore of great darkness fell upon him. And last week we saw that the rabbinical commentary, the great darkness was a reference to the descendants of Abraham going into exile. Verse 13, And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that your seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. In other words, they will go into exile and being scattered in exile, those are lands that are not theirs. The land that is given to the descendants of Abraham is the land of Israel. And they will serve them. And the reason why they're being sent into those lands and serving is because of disobedience to Torah. And they shall afflict them 400 years. In other words, the peoples where the descendants of Abraham are going to be exiled ultimately are not going to treat them well. And history has proven this to be the case. Genesis 15 verse 14, and also that nation whom they will serve will I judge. This is an allusion to that when the God of Israel redeems his people from the nations where they've been scattered, that he will judge those nations. And afterward, they will come out, that is the prophecy of being redeemed from exile with great substance. Moses is called because of the covenant that Yeshua made with Abraham. Once again, we can see the covenant in Genesis 17 verse 7 is made between Yeshua and Abraham. The promise in verse 8 is that the descendants of Abraham would be given the land of Canaan. Now, Moses is called on behalf of and because of the covenant that the Messiah made with Abraham. In Exodus chapter 2 verse 23, it says, It came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. The God of Israel is calling Moses because of the covenant that was made with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. In that context, it says in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and bring them up out of that land. Notice when you're leaving Egypt, you're coming up out of Egypt. You're making an ascension. Whenever there's a reference to being in Egypt or going to Egypt, the scripture always says going down to Egypt. But when you leave Egypt, you come up out of Egypt because you are ascending to a higher place. That is the land of Israel. Into a good land, in a large land, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. The God of Israel redeemed his people out of Egypt for the purpose that they would be his people and that they would serve him. So in Exodus chapter 3 verses 11 and 12 it says, Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you and this shall be the sign or the token unto you that I've sent you. When you have brought forth the people out of Egypt, you will serve God upon this mountain. He redeemed his people out of Egypt so that they could serve him. The place where you serve him is on the mountain. And what happened on the mountain? That is where he gave commandment to his people. How do you serve the God of Israel? You do it by keeping his commandment. Now let's look at some of the detailed events of the Passover. In Exodus chapter 5 verses 1 through 3, Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says he has met with the God of Israel. He makes 
to request the Pharaoh from the mouth of the God of Israel to let his people go. Exodus 5.1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. This is Passover. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. So the request to Pharaoh was specifically to be able to go three days journey into the desert to hold a festival unto the God of Israel. In the context of this, the God of Israel commanded the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 12 verse 3 and verse 6 these words, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. That lamb was to be kept from the tenth day of the month, which is Aviv, until the fourteenth day of the month of Aviv. And on that day they were to kill the lamb. Now we need to recognize that one of the things that the God of Israel is doing under Pharaoh and the Egyptians is he's judging the gods of this world, which are not gods. They are idols of men and idols of men's heart. In Egypt, sheep were worshipped by the Egyptian society as an Egyptian god. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 25 through 27, it says, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your god in the land. And Moses said, It is not meet so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. We're going to sacrifice sacrifice a sheep. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes? And will they not stone us? If we sacrifice a lamb, the Egyptians are going to be so upset with us that their anger will be such that they'll want to kill us. It is dangerous to sacrifice this lamb in that society. It's not politically correct. And we will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he shall command us. Now, we can see, not only from the scripture which we just quoted, but in Midrash Rabbah, Exodus 16.3, the rabbis make mention that in Egypt, that sheep were regarded as Egyptian gods. The Midrash says these words, When the Holy One, blessed be he, told Moses to slay the Paschal, or the Passover lamb, Moses answered, Lord of the universe, how can I possibly do this thing? Do you not know that the lamb is an Egyptian god, as it says, if we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? Exodus chapter 8, verse 26. So God replies, As you live, Israel will not depart from here before they slaughter the Egyptian gods before their very eyes, that I may teach them that their gods are really nothing at all. This is what God actually did, for on that night he slew the Egyptian firstborn, and on that night the Israelites slaughtered their paschal, or 
for their Passover lamb and ate it. When the Egyptians beheld their firstborn slain and their gods slaughtered, they could do nothing, as it says. While the Egyptians were burying them, that the Lord had smitten among them, even all their firstborn, upon their gods also, the Lord executed judgment. Part of the requirement of the God of Israel was that the blood of the Passover lamb that was slain was to be put on the doorpost. Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Egypt is a place of bondage. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, it says, It came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Then in Exodus chapter 6, verse 5, it is written, And I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Egypt is a place of bondage, and this is a spiritual picture unto us that Egypt is a type of the world in the world system. We can see the analogy of Egypt to the ways of the world from Isaiah in chapter 30, verses 1 through 3. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk to go down into Egypt, and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. So they're talking about going down to Egypt, putting their trust in Pharaoh, for when you do that, you're not putting your trust in the God of Israel. So Egypt and Pharaoh and putting your trust in them is opposite to putting your trust in the God of Israel. So therefore, Egypt and Pharaoh represent putting your trust in the world, the world system, and the ways of man, the ways of the flesh. In Isaiah chapter 31, verses 1 and 3, this principle is also communicated. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Now the Egyptians are men and not God and their horses flesh and not spirit. Here it describes about trusting in the chariot of Egypt. So that's trusting in the world and the world system and what seems logical in the context of the world and its ways. It says because they are very strong. In other words, the natural system has contained within it things that they say that if you do, you can keep yourself out of problems, out of trouble, and you need to do the wisdom of those things because they are strong. But that is opposite from trusting in the ways of the God of Israel because his ways are not the ways of man. When we look at the children of Israel being in bondage or the principle of bondage, bondage comes about when we do not follow the Torah. We can see this from Isaiah chapter 42 verses 22 and 24 and it says, but this 
is a people robbed and spoiled. They are all of them snared in holes, and they are hid in prison houses. They are for a prey, and none delivers for a spoil, and none says restore. Who gave Jacob for a spoil and Israel to the robbers? Did not the Lord, he against whom we have sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, neither were they obedient unto his Torah. Notice that when the people of the God of Israel are not obedient to his Torah, it is said of them that they end up in a prison house. Why? Because not obeying the Torah is sin. First John chapter 3 verse 4. Whosoever commits sin transgresses the Torah, for sin is the transgression of the Torah. Yeshua said in John chapter 8 verse 34, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. So transgressing the Torah, which is sin, causes us to get into bondage, and bondage is our prison house. Trusting in Pharaoh represents serving the gods of this world. Isaiah chapter 36 verse 6 says, Lo, thou trust in the staff of this broken reed on Egypt, where if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all those that trust in him. Jeremiah chapter 46 verse 25 says, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says, Behold, I will punish the multitude of Pharaoh in Egypt with their gods and their kings, even Pharaoh and all them that trust in him. If you're trusting in the world, the world's ways and the world system, which is trusting in Pharaoh and Egypt, the God of Israel says, ultimately, you are under my judgment. Yeshua is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. John chapter 1 verse 29 says, Behold, the Lamb of God, referring to Yeshua the Messiah, who takes away the sin of the world. Yeshua is our Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 says, Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Yeshua our Passover, he is sacrificed for us. The children of Israel were commanded to take the Passover lamb and to bring it into their houses beginning on the 10th day of the first month, Aviv 10, and then up through Aviv 14. What's the spiritual meaning and application? It's that the believers of the Messiah are his house. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6 says, But Messiah as a son over his own house. Who's his own house that he's a son over? The house of Jacob. There's a literal house of Jacob that he's a son over. And there's a redeemed house of Jacob who he's a son over. Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? 1 Peter chapter 2 verse you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices unto God by Yeshua HaMashiach the doorpost that we put the blood on personifies and represents a circumcised heart Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 12 says and now Israel what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God to walk in all of his ways to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 16 says circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff necked. Then in Philippians chapter 3 verse 3 it says for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Yeshua HaMashiach and have no confidence in the flesh.
Well, that's going to conclude part one of the series on the subject, The Events of Passover. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.